0: Thanks for tuning to Digital Voices Podcast, where we chat digital transformation, challenges and opportunities across healthcare and life sciences. And now, your host, Ed Marks.
1: Hey, welcome to another podcast of Digital Voices. I am your host, Ed, and I'm really excited today to share with you another one of our wonderful guests, uh, Dr. Chris Longhorst, and I. We... Uh, have known each other for a few years now. I think one of the ways in which we got to know each other even better was we collaborated on a book together it was a 2019 healthcare bestseller called Voices of Innovation. And Chris did a chapter for us on innovations in interventional informatics. And then we presented one time uh, together right after one another. And I was like, wow, you know, I, I, I love this person and what they're doing and their leadership. And so I just wanted to share sort of Chris's story and a little bit about Chris and what he's doing uh, with all of you. So uh, this is Digital Voices, you know, the digital voice for all chief digital officers across health and life sciences. And the best part of it is we are commercial free. So Dr. Longhurst or Chris, uh, welcome to our podcast.
0: Thank you very much for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here.
1: Yeah, we're going to have great fun. And as we get started, you know, Sydney, I'm curious, you know, have you ever thought about writing a book and if you have what would it be about if i were to ever write one my favorite kinds of books to read are mainly self-help books so i would probably want to write one to um, my past self and you know the generation of girls going through like pre-teens and their teenage years and and a book about what not to worry about back then and to try to live in the moment, live in the present. And yeah. That sounds like a pretty good book. Actually. I think uh, you should pursue that. I know that my daughters would have appreciated a book like that. So cool. So uh, Chris, you know, we start off all of our podcasts with two questions that are common. And the first one is what is your favorite music? So like, what do you like to listen to in your downtime?
0: Well, I've got pretty eclectic music taste. So uh, recently I saw some live music, uh, of course, fully masked indoors. It was Thievery Corporation, and I like some of that electronic music. I also um, am a big fan of Iron and Wine, and I find uh, their music really relaxing. So those are some of my go-tos.
1: Nice. I'm going to check out Iron and Wine. Just the name in and of itself, it's like two of my favorite things, wine and iron. So that sounds um, that sounds really interesting. I gotta check it out. So, what I about your life?
0: Into, I actually got interested in oh, Iron and Wine ahead. because of the Garden State soundtrack.
1: Okay, yeah, I'm gonna. This is very intriguing. This one of the reasons we answer the question actually because it helps me fill my uh, my playlists. And so, um, I'm gonna definitely check that out. What about a life message or mantra? Is there like some key phrase or words that you live by?
0: Well, one of the things I tell my kids on a regular basis is that anything worth doing is worth doing right. And of course, uh, some of the hardest things that uh, we do are the ones that we're most proud of. And so uh, I, I'm all for 150% effort on anything that's worth um, investing that time in.
1: Yeah, I like that. That's that, Those are good. We ought to make a collection someday, Sydney, of all the uh, life messages and mantras of all of our guests. I think there would be the the seeds for another uh, fantastic book. So, Chris, you do have a very fascinating career path. You know, if I just hit a couple of things, and but let you tell the story. You know, you are now the chief digital officer and chief medical officer uh, combination. So that's pretty unique. You've been a CIO. Uh, you've been associate CMIO at Informatics. Uh, tell us a little bit about your career and your whole your, you, know, you can start way back on a personal and professional level. Just interesting to see how you sort of evolve into who you are today.
0: Sure. Well, I I think some of this starts pretty early on with an interest in information technology that developed in part because I grew up in the country. And so being out in the country without a driver's license, I was a bit isolated. And somebody showed me once I could plug the back of my computer into the uh, telephone and uh, join bulletin boards and, you know, interact with people across the the country and the world. And so by the time I went to college, I was... um, Pursuing my interest in science and molecular biology, but also my interest in information technology and took a few bioinformatics courses back in the early 90s. Uh, as I went to medical school, knowing that I wanted to be a practicing physician, I was directed to a group of faculty at UC Davis, where I was a medical student, who were doing something called informatics. And it was actually my associate dean of student affairs, who was a British guy, who directed me there. And Dr. Wall says... I don't know what these informatics people do, but I think that you'll find it interesting. And uh, not only did I find it interesting, it really cemented my interest in this career. Um, The summer of 96, I went down and spent a week at Stanford where Dr. Ted Shortliff was offering the short course in medical informatics at the time. And uh, that was really um, a key pivotal moment for me because it cemented my interest in this career. I decided to take time off from medical school, I actually pursued a master's degree in health information technology at, at UC Davis. And then when I went back to medical school, I decided I wanted to be a pediatrician. And so the place that I chose to train was at Stanford where their children's hospital sits in the heart of Silicon Valley. Uh, I had a great time learning to be a pediatrician at Stanford and spent 15 years there all told because I was just fortunate to be the, the right guy in the right place at the right time as I was finishing my training and the children's hospital decided to implement a new electronic health record system. It was really another fortunate moment because this whole implementation had been uh, incentivized by the chief quality officer, Dr. Paul Sherrick, who had recognized the Institute of Medicine report, identified CPOE as a way to reduce medication errors in children. And so I reported duly to the hospital's first CMIO and Dr. Sherrick as the chief quality officer because the whole intent of this multi-million dollar project was to keep children in the hospital safer. And I thought I'd spend a year or two doing this before I went back to subspecialty training, and of course it turned into a a whole career.
1: Wow, that's fascinating. And now you're at UC San Diego, which I'm just jealous, just the city, uh, but also UC San Diego is a premier organization. Tell us a little bit about UC San Diego Health.
0: Sure. Well, after spending a lot of time at Stanford, I was recruited down to UC San Diego in uh, late 2015 to serve as the chief information officer. And that was a big step for me going from CMIO and VP of analytics to CIO. But I owe a lot to one of my mentors, Ed Kapetsky, who serves as chief information officer at Lucille Packard Children's Hospital. And from Ed, I learned a number of things that helped make me more successful in, in my ensuing roles, including how to build high functioning teams and high performing teams. Um, and how to have a lot of fun at work. So um, I took some of those lessons from Ed, my colleagues Lisa Grissom and others at Stanford, and applied those at San Diego, where uh, I was really fortunate to inherit some amazing team members, to recruit some additional ones. And we've just had a blast the last five or six years um, uh, transforming the digital infrastructure of how we deliver care at UC San Diego. And of course this has become much more prominent the last 24 months, during the pandemic where none of our pandemic response would have been possible without our sophisticated data and analytics platforms.
1: Yeah, that's, that's pretty fascinating. And I share your uh, admiration of uh, Ed Kapetsky. I'm a big uh, Ed fan and uh, I I consider him one of my uh, informal mentors as well. So tell us a little bit about the uniqueness of your setup, as I mentioned, and you described in, in your journey You know, the chief digital officer, chief medical officer, you have a CIO that reports to you. And so how does all of that, you know, work on a functional basis? Because it's very intriguing. And and tell us the the positive attributes of such an arrangement.
0: Yeah, well, it's been an interesting and unexpected journey. So as I said, I came to UC San Diego to serve as CIO and spent my first three years uh, really trying to build our uh, system reliability and um, infrastructure platforms. Um, But after I'd been there about three years reporting to the CEO, my boss, Patty Mason, um, our chief medical officer retired, and she decided to put in place a structure with an interim chief medical officer and a couple of associate chief medical officers. And um, after a a few conversations, I was appointed in the role of associate chief medical officer for quality and patient safety. And again, this was a bit of a stretch for me. But because of the mentoring I received from Dr. Sherrick and some of my background uh, in Institute of Healthcare Improvement, driving uh, QI efforts, Uh, it was something I felt I could partner with our chief quality officer on. And we've had just a tremendous journey the last three years, uh, restoring some of our public profiles, regaining our top U.S. news uh, regional uh, ranking, and uh, focusing on the quality metrics that matter to our patients. And so um, just recently, after uh, serving in that capacity for three years, uh, the chief medical officer role opened up. I threw my hat in, and uh, it was offered to me, but um, I negotiated to keep IT as part of the portfolio, and uh, therefore, the CIO now reports to me in my role as Chief Digital Officer, and uh, that gives me really important levers for impacting the care that we deliver to patients, as well as the experience of all of our team members, particularly our medical staff.
1: Yeah, I can certainly appreciate the alignment that that helps with the organization. So, uh, yeah, that, that's pretty cool. Now, you do something that I always recommend everyone do, and that is while your focus, obviously, is UC San Diego Health in your role that you just described, you, you do have this external experience as well. Um, and, you know, of course, being in the Silicon Valley and kind of growing up your professional life in that area, can you talk a little bit about some of the, the work that you've done, you know, outside, you know, Google, Doximity, or, or what other companies that you might you might have done some other things with?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I was really fortunate at Stanford where they've had a long culture of allowing their faculty to do external work while they remain employed at Stanford. And, of course, if they hadn't done that, you know, they would have lost all of their engineering faculty in the the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And so uh, that bleeds into the medical school where this culture of working with outside industry is actually encouraged. And it's very different than a lot of universities where I think there's a – um tendency to look down on faculty that are collaborating, you know, with industry or pharma in particular. But at Stanford it was almost a point of pride. You know, we actually put all of our sunshine data on the faculty profiles so that you could with, you know, public grandeur declare your potential conflicts. And I think that that sunshine is the best method of transparency. And so uh, as I started doing some of this consulting, I did the same thing. I made sure everybody was aware of it so I wouldn't run into you know real conflicts of interest. But uh, I helped over the, the course of you know, a number of years, probably uh, a couple dozen different companies from large companies to small startups. And I will tell you that most of those didn't go anywhere. But the first time that I met Jeff Tangney and heard about the elevator pitch for Doximity, it was clear to me that this was a company that was going somewhere. And in fact, um, it was one of those moments where you thought, boy, I wish I'd thought of that. So Jeff had founded this company with the concept that less than 1% of physicians are on LinkedIn. Physicians tend not to be sort of social animals looking for the next job, and LinkedIn wasn't a a place that they um, found a home. And so he built out a platform, Doctors in Proximity or Doximity, that allows for physicians to network with other physicians, now pharmacists and nurse practitioners and and physician assistants uh, in a real name verified kind of service. And this whole platform is built to help enhance the physician experience. It's been a lot of fun to have this outside uh, um, work. And I'll tell you, I've learned a ton from participating in a company that grew from six or eight employees when I started advising to now over 500 with a market cap of eight billion on the New York Stock Exchange. So we do record visually these podcasts just to enhance our
1: communication. And if, you know, if you know Chris, like I know Chris and can see Chris, you know, he looks like he's 30, but he's he's uh, had a little bit of experience, as he as he described. So Chris, if I were to ask you to look back, I know it's hard looking back. Let's just say five years. What What are one or two of of uh, the accomplishments that you're most proud of you
0: and your teams? Sure. Well, I will tell you that uh, one of the things I am most proud of by far is the team's response to the pandemic. I, I think we've been through this uh, with numerous guests, but you know the, the first week, month, and year of the pandemic, it would have been impossible to continue caring for patients without our electronic health record and digital health infrastructures, whether you're talking about telemedicine, telehealth, uh, sophisticated analytics, or um, uh, remote work for our employees, right? Um, At the same time, I look over the last couple of years, And some of the accomplishments that we as a larger enterprise have uh, managed to manifest together are still astounding. So UC San Diego opened the first vaccine superstation in the state of California and one of the first in the country. And that was really a result of a close collaboration with both the county public health team and the San Diego Padres who helped to make this possible. Within a month of opening, of course, we were getting thousands of patients telling us they'd lost their yellow cards And we're looking for replacement cards. And so we joined a national vaccine credential initiative and uh, helped to uh, enhance and support the smart health card standard that's now adopted across almost half of the U.S. states as a means of digitally validating clinical information, including COVID vaccination data. And then we did something somewhat unique because our testing capacity is so extraordinary at UC San Diego. We were actually able to mandate employee testing during our surges. And as a result of that, we've got great data systems that allow us to, in near real time, monitor this real world vaccine effectiveness data. And so we published one of the first studies in the New England Journal in March of 2021, showing the real world effectiveness of vaccines in our employee population. But then as we were watching over the course of the summer with the Delta surge, we realized that many of our employees who were fully vaccinated were actually having breakthrough infections. And in contrast to what we were hearing from the CDC, where they said that breakthrough infections were rare, we were seeing something different. And so we actually published that data in September of 2021, the New England Journal. And that data directly was cited by the FDA and CDC in their decision to uh, support booster shots for healthcare workers. And so, again, it's been really gratifying, not only caring for our own community locally, but also participating in these national initiatives and influencing national policy because we're able to learn so rapidly from our real-world data.
1: Yeah, that's really impressive. And I, and I did see that when it was coming out. Was like, I was like, yep, that's uh, Dr. Longhurst. I knew him. I know him. And so, yeah, you, you all did a, a fantastic job and continue to do that. What about the future? As you look to the future, you know, post pandemic or you know the new normal, what what are some things that are on your on your roadmap over the next you know one to three years that are sort of leading edge like that?
0: Yeah, well, if you think about what happened recently, and I'll give you another example, we found that anecdotally we were seeing an increase in children with type one diabetes. In the first year of the pandemic. And people were talking about this on listservs. We did a real world query in our electronic health record. We're able to demonstrate a 57% increase in type 1 diabetes in children uh, in the first 12 months after the pandemic. That has never been shown before, it was just published in JAMA and now is leading all sorts of hypotheses and new investigations about what this viral trigger may have been doing. And, and these are good examples of real world learning using data. And so if we think about high reliability is the the tenant of quality and patient safety and something we're constantly pursuing as a health system and we think about the institute of medicine concept of a learning health system i like to combine these two concepts into what we're calling at uc san diego health our journey to become a highly reliable learning health system and what this means is that we're constantly using our data in novel ways to help drive ongoing learning and quality improvement and this is an important concept because it begins to blur some of the things that we traditionally think of as quality improvement or clinical research with a, you know, firm black line. and it creates gray zones. And of course, it's really important that we involve our IRB with this so that we remain above board and, and acting with uh, ethical principles. And so we've been working together with our IRB on something that we call the Acquire Committee, which is aligning quality impl- improvement and research efforts. And so anything like this comes before our Acquire, and we can either declare it IRB oversight or IRB exempt and help support it with hospital analytics resources if it's well aligned with the hospital strategy and priorities.
1: No, that's that's fascinating. and And I think that's what you get when you have a chief digital officer who has this clinical background and a lot of informatics and understand the power to revolutionize and and, uh, help bring about need of change and through the analytics and uh that's very powerful uh what you're all doing so i love i love hearing your perspective you know chris there's probably a fair number of clinicians that are listening to the podcast and wondering how might i have this same experience as chris how do i get involved in like, I want to be a chief digital officer someday or chief information officer. Uh, what would be your recommendation for those individuals? Let's just say that today they, they're just strictly a clinician. They don't really have any appointments in IT or informatics, so they're starting from scratch. What would be some advice you would give them?
0: Sure. And you can imagine I get approached by clinicians frequently with these sort of questions. <laughs> yes. And there's really, I think, two, two parts to the answer. The first is, what are your formal opportunities for education in applied clinical informatics or healthcare leadership? And of course, that spans the spectrum from things like going to business school and getting an MBA with a healthcare leadership focus to doing fellowships in applied clinical informatics. And of course, at Stanford, we were fortunate to found the first ACGME accredited clinical informatics fellowship. Dr. Natalie Pageler, who succeeded me as the CMIO at Stanford Children's, continues to run that program. Um, I think those are all great options for formal training, and of course, what makes sense to different clinicians will depend on their stage of training. Are they still in medical school residency? Are they, you know, mid-career, etc. Um, the other half of it that's equally, or perhaps even more important is a combination of real world experience and mentoring. And I've mentioned a couple times some of the wonderful people that I owe a lot of my career success to, Dr. Paul Sherrick at Capetsky, Lisa Grissom, my CEO here at UC San Diego Health, Patty Mason, and many others. I think that um, great mentors are people that you run across and are willing to help support you in your career, help you to develop, and people that you can learn from, not just formally, but also informally and through role modeling. And so I've been blessed to have a number of those great mentors. And I think that they're at least as important as that formal education.
1: Yeah, those those are great suggestions. And yeah, you know, from a, you know, a CIO perspective, I would love it when I had clinicians approach me and want to gain some experience and we would give them opportunity. You know, they would volunteer leading, and that led some of them down the same career path. And and so what an opportunity. Uh, I think the more blending we get and crossover and conversely i always tell cios you know hang out with clinicians i mean you're not gonna you know be credentialed to see patients or anything but walk in their shoes uh, on a regular basis not like as a one-time photo op but like uh, always and uh it'll change things for 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 both and and like you represent you know when you bring the two together that's when the real power i think happens in terms of transformation so we're going to round out sort of the corner here i'm curious about your perspectives. You know, we, we see a lot of disintermediation in healthcare today, right? The rise of retail, uh, the pay biters, the the payers who are who are uh, now have more primary care physicians. You know, as part of these payer organizations and perhaps hospitals. So there's there's a lot of this digital first type of mentality. What, where do you think we're headed as an industry, and how as you see San Diego? How are you sort of addressing this sort of digital first and new competition?
0: Those are great questions. And I guess my first concept uh, is a little bit odd coming from somebody with the title chief digital officer, but I don't think digital health in itself is a strategy. I think it's a tool to help uh, accomplish your goals as a health system. So for example, one of our strategic goals is to expand our clinical network and ensure that we're shifting from curve one to curve two when it comes to population health and the um, accountability uh, care act. And so as we execute on that goal, digital health tools have been critical. We've extended our electronic health record platform to a number of our affiliate members in our clinically integrated network. We've extended our uh, analytics platform. We're even partnering with our medical education team to use that platform to help measure outcomes on medical education and to deliver clinical research in a way to the patient community we would not otherwise be able to deliver without the partnerships with these affiliate practices. It's also been really critical that we've adopted a mobile first strategy, whether that's telehealth or a clinician's interactions that's freed them up, helped to reduce the time of data entry, uh, reduce burnout, reduce the you know um, concern about time in the system as part of our um, after hours or pajama reduction time or home for dinner programs. Mobile has really been a, a key asset for us. And so you, you take these tools together and you think about how are we going to help the mission and vision of our health system as it delivers care to our community and our patients. Um, You know, our goal at UC San Diego Health is to be regionally dominant and nationally prominent, and digital health is one of the top uh, ways that we're going to help to deliver on that goal.
1: I, I love that. I was writing it down, regionally dominant and nationally prominent, and the concept of digital as a tool, not digital in itself. So, um, no, that that sounds great, and obviously this is why we're thrilled to have you as our guest because uh, you have great, great insights uh, to share. So, Chris, we covered a lot of stuff from your background to the you know the your transition from, from physician to chief being chief information officer, chief medical officer, chief digital officer. Talked about some of the initiatives that you all have done, the value of working outside of of your primary uh, area and getting some of this other exposure and uh, expo- and the innovation. Uh, and, ha- and basically, you know, some some of the strategy going forward. Is there anything, I'm going to leave you with the last comment. Is there anything that you wanted to double down on or anything else that you want to share that I maybe didn't ask a question about?
0: Well, one question that I get frequently is, uh, am I still clinically active? And the answer is yes, for now. I get to see um, newborns every uh, week at our Jacobs Medical Center. And I'll tell you, it's something that keeps me so grounded, getting to see um, babies in the hospital, new moms, and hear about their experiences with our healthcare system. Something that uh, I remember fondly from Packer Children's Hospital is that frequently when I was on service, members of our information technology team, Ed Kapetsky, Mark Amy, our chief technology officer, Lisa Grissom, and others would make rounds with me. And Ed, I think that you described really well how important these dyad partnerships are, And so uh, that's probably what I would leave you with, is that at the end of the day, we're all here to help care for patients, to help care for each other as employees and team members. And so as long as we remember the heart of what we're doing, I think we can leverage these tools to do amazing things moving forward. Well, Chris, I'm
1: not gonna say anything more because that is the best uh, ending uh, possible. I wanna thank you for being our guest. You're an awesome person, you know, a dad, a husband, Uh, and you do great things clinically, and, of course, uh, your leadership in this digital space and medical staff, uh, you're just a a great uh, individual, and thank you for all that you do.
0: Ed, thank you. Uh, Thank you for doing this podcast, and uh, I've learned a ton from watching and listening to you over the years as well, and would name you as one of my role models, so really appreciate the uh, time today. Thank thank you so much. Very humbling. All
1: right, that concludes uh, another drop. Of our podcast. Thank you for being with us. And thank you, DJ Sydney, for being such a great producer. Take care and talk to you next week.
0: Hi, this is John Lynn from the Healthcare IT Today podcast. If you like the latest rumors, insights and happenings in healthcare IT, you'll enjoy hearing my colleague Colin Hung and myself debate and share the latest happenings from the world of healthcare IT. Find the latest episodes or dig into our archive at healthcareittoday.com or search for Healthcare IT Today on your favorite podcast application or YouTube. When it comes to healthcare technology, we love this stuff. And we can't wait to have you join in on the discussion of everything health IT. Thank you for listening to Digital Voices Podcast with Ed Martin. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe on your preferred streaming service and leave a rating and review. And most importantly, thanks again for listening.